Welcome in, everybody. Thank you for listening to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. My name's Tony Garcia, Michigan writer for the Detroit Free Press, joined by my buddy, my colleague, Reiner Sabin, our Big Ten insider, who has been doing his usual bouncing back and forth between Ann Arbor and East Lansing uh, this week before we hit the road uh, to Omaha uh, for Michigan's first road game. Do you have any last-minute preparations uh, before your flight, Reiner? No, I bought all my uh, travel-sized items, and uh, I'm good to go. <laughs> do you stock up? Do you like? I do. I do. I do. I do. I actually do go. Yeah. <laughs> so what? What do you? Get? I mean, without getting into like all the nitty-gritty, I mean, it's just like toothpaste, soap, deodorant, like. Yeah, toothpaste, shaving cream. You know, not usually soap since that's the hotel provides that, and so uh, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good on that end. So yeah, no, I. I I get the essentials. Okay, very good. Very good. Uh, I haven't... You're always a step ahead of me because you've been doing this a bit longer. Um, and so I'm just happy when I have my hotel booked, the the flight booked. <laughs> uh, my credential is 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 squared away and uh, and the parking pass, which... Uh, I'm going, which Nebraska may, nobody, nobody needs the details of the, of the parking pass fiasco. Anyways, How are you getting the par- parking pass? Though? I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive to Detroit tonight. Wow. They, may, they mailed it to the office, uh, mm-hmm. even though we, uh, we wanted to pick it up in Lincoln, but, sure. uh, you know, guys, sacrifices must be made. And <laughs> I think, I think everybody will be okay with, with one, uh, short drive. Um, so, so let's get into it anyways, because as we're talking about, obviously we're headed to Nebraska, Michigan's first road trip of the season, uh, against the corn Huskers. So, uh, we're going to start in the a block with three things, uh, with that first road game. What can the team learn about itself in a road game? Uh, a lot of tests that come up that don't come up at home Two, uh, what do we want to learn? Reiner and I have identified one thing specifically uh, that we will be watching in this game. And then third, uh, the defense, which has been tremendous uh, and is getting healthy, but do we need to take it a little bit with a grain of salt? We'll explain more. And then after that, the picks, we bring in our Andrew Burkle. Uh, I believe we have four games on the slate this week. One of them is uh, Michigan State and Iowa. And as of we are recording this uh, about 1.45 on Wednesday afternoon, about an hour and a half ago, Michigan State's Mel Tucker was officially fired. So during that time, Reiner, I think, is a good chance to sort of, I mean, there's a lot of layers and and things and a, a lot of fallout, particularly for Michigan and, the, and these Big Ten schools. That's a good time to, to espouse on that briefly. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, certainly there's going to be a lot of fallout uh, with other teams and everything else. But the Michigan State situation particularly affects Michigan going forward, especially as a result to what roster they might end up seeing in you know 30 days or so. Because obviously with the firing of Mel Tucker, the transfer portal opens for the players. So there could be a huge shakeup within MSU before that game is even played. Right, right, um, and, and not to mention the the, the decommits that are that, that have already started uh, sure. from high school players. So things are going to look very different. Um, but first things first, Nebraska is on the clock, and uh, it's it's the first time uh, we're leaving Ann Arbor. First time the team is leaving Ann Arbor, and it's always a fun time of year because while for for, for the coaches for everyone, it's you do get a lot of the yeah you know we got to switch to a to silent count. 
Uh, it's us against the world. You get a lot of cliches. You, for all every one of those, you get a Samaj Morgan, who is a true freshman, uh, who just sort of burst onto the scene this last week. We've we've been seeing the signs that, that, that he's building his role, but we asked him what to expect. He's like, I actually have no idea. I mean, I mean, I mean, he's never been the enemy in front of a hundred thousand, and that's a very unique setting that none of us <laughs> know what it's like. Yeah, and it's a particularly tough road environment to go to for your first uh, first game, first college road experiences. Nebraska, I mean, they, they usually bring it with their fans, and it does get loud. And it's one of the traditional strongholds in college football. I mean, even though Nebraska has receded this century uh, and kind of has fallen off the you know football college football map, so to speak, uh, they have a very very passionate fan base and. Uh, that's a tough place to go play, uh, and it'll be an interesting road test for Michigan. I mean, 2021, the last time Michigan was there, uh, a lot of the, the older statesmen on this team, uh, I mean, the the Ohio State game last year, obviously withstanding, that that will always be head and shoulders, uh, everybody's favorite uh, favorite victory who, who was on the roster for it. But I, I was amazed at, at what, I mean, Mikey Sainer still and, and some of the other guys were saying about what they remember about that 2021 night game in Nebraska. Uh, Hassan Haskins with the hurdle, with with a big run late in the fourth quarter. Um, that was when sort of the beginning of Michigan's dominant pounding, we, br- we will bring the force, we will bring the hammer, we will be the bully, like they said last week, like Blake Horm said, we bully bullies. That was one of those first times they brought it on the road. And and with a lot, when not everything went right, uh, I think you were there. I mean, I was not in person. Um, not no, I was, right. I, was in a, I was in a bad right. game, but uh, the uh, the Wisconsin twenty twenty one game, which was kind of a watershed moment for the program. Uh, right. It was coming off actually off of a Rutgers victory, a twenty to thirteen victory that was very uninspiring, not convincing. And so a lot of people thought it was just going to be a repeat of the same experience Michigan had against Wisconsin. Going into that that game, there was Michigan was favored, I think, to lose, um, and instead they won by 21 points. Uh, they co-opted uh, the uh, jump around in the fourth quarter and really kind of leaned into the whole road environment situation, like you said, the us against the world feeling, and kind of uh, channeled that energy into their own performance and you know, and. China re- started to rewrite the narrative of Jim Harbaugh's tenure because, again, he had uh, such a tough time winning those kind of games uh, throughout his tenure up until that point. And Michigan came away with a, a significant victory, a convincing victory, and it then kind of basically recalibrated their entire season. Yeah, I mean, those were the only games that, that just about and bowl games that Jim Harbaugh didn't win, right? Like the big games, the rivalry games, the road games, those were all the tough mm-hmm. roadblocks. Any game they were supposed to win was pretty much no problem uh, throughout, throughout all of Jim Jim Harbaugh's tenure. Uh, it was that 2021 season when they started winning uh, the, the, the games, like you mentioned. And part of it, I think, is because of, I think it was J.J. McCarthy saying the message of strength and conditioning coach Ben Herbert uh, you cannot control the noise, right? You cannot control outside factors. But the line they said, and I thought it was a good line, make their noise your noise, right? Like, so, I mean, all the teams pump crowd, pump noise into into practice and they work and they work on all the things that, that come when you have to go to an environment where they are, when the opposition is doing everything they can to make it difficult for you. That's not new. What's new is doing it for the first time at a new level. 
Yes, and uh, again, I, I refer back to that Wisconsin game because I don't think the Nebraska win in 2021 happens if they don't take care of business in Madison. That game was played the week after the, the victory in Madison, and it just reaffirmed you know, you know, Michigan can now win these games, these tough games, and this one was decided very late in the game. Uh, you know, I think it was a fumble recovery from Brad Hawkins and then the field goal at the end, um, you know, that uh, also lifted them to the victory. It was a three-point win, and that was a much better Nebraska team than the one that Michigan will face this time. But still, it's going to be a, a, a tough test, a kind of a re, reconfigured offensive line is going to have to uh, handle some of the is, you know issues that the crowd presents, you know, from a communication standpoint, and there's going to be uh, some challenges that they're going to have to overcome uh, in, in a road environment. Yeah, and one of those challenges, while the calendar will say September 30th, it's going to feel a lot more like July 30th or August 30th, Reiner. Mm-hmm. 94 degrees is uh, is the the game time kickoff temperature that, that it's scheduled for right now. Say it doesn't reach that high. 90 degrees, I mean, that's travel, heat, conditions. I mean, now you're you're bringing in uh, a, a few sort of di- sort of different elements, but Throne Moore did not. Uh, Michigan's offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, who we spoke with today, um, said Michigan is always overhydrated, um, and so uh, he he does not think it would be a concern. That's the first time I've actually heard a coach downplay uh, heat and 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 conditions as as a factor. Yeah, I think he you know is pretty was pretty casual about it, but again, he you must have confidence in how they handle these uh, different environmental factors. He said that you know they'd be happy to play in the snow, uh, whatever conditions. I mean, obviously the heat is probably something they're not as used to as uh, as the cold weather uh, up here, and so uh, that'll definitely be a factor again as as the game goes on, depending on how it's how it's being played. Um, you know, the, uh, obviously, if it's a tight game going into the fourth quarter, it's not not as a, not as good a situation for Michigan uh, as it would be if they just you know salt the game away early on and don't have to expend as much energy at the end. Because uh, again, I mean, I don't know what their conditioning level is for this kind of heat. Uh, they don't generally practice in this kind of weather, uh, even in the dead of August during preseason camp. Well, this is a, a perfect time for when all the rotation they've been doing, right? I mean, the way they rotate the defensive line, even more linebacker depth, the the depth they've gotten in the secondary. Uh, I mean, they, they, there's a lot. There's, they have plenty of depth there. They have more talent. I don't expect it to, to to be much of a factor, but it's just another thing when you are going on the the road for the first time. And and these are all things that Michigan is going to learn about itself, right? Uh, you can think you know things about about your team, about your identity. Um, as JJ says, he loves playing in front of the big house, but he said there's something different about going on the road and uh, when everyone is as loud as it can as, as can be. And then he said by halftime and then they're silent as a mouse was, was the phrase he used. And, and that's what they're what Michigan's task is this week and what Michigan is trying to learn about itself, how it can do that. Reiner, what do you want to learn about Michigan specifically this week? Specifically, the offensive operation and how well it kind of handles all the different factors, uh, external factors uh, related to the crowd noise and everything else, and just being able to kind of communicate with the offensive line. Drake Nugent, uh, Michigan Center, kind of talked about how you know communication has to be strong 
uh, in this environment or in really even in the previous three games when there have been issues, it's sometimes communication, understanding, you know, where the blitzes are coming from, how the pass protection is aligned and such. So I think the communication between the offensive line and J.J. McCarthy and just how the operation kind of flows in a different environment than, say, the comfort of uh, Michigan Stadium, the big house, and uh, what they've dealt with the last, you know, four weeks. Right. And I think how that goes will probably be play off of what I'm looking for or vice versa. I mean, they they work hand in hand, uh, which is I think I might plant my flag uh, on Michigan's run game. And of course there is room for, for things to change. And it does not mean that like, like that you can't, that, that a team cannot advance or, or regress throughout a season. But what I mean is uh, this is a really big test. Nebraska is the number one ranked statistically run defense in the, in, in the nation. I say statistically because so many different things about uh, when you bring in backups and, uh, and non-conference games and scores getting out of hand, all the stats can get kind of wonky. But Nebraska has played power five teams, right? I mean, not great teams, but Minnesota can run the ball okay at times, shut them down. Colorado can run the ball. I mean, they pass first, but can run the ball okay, shut them down. I mean, I don't think they've given up more than 65 yards in a game on the ground. They're average. And so Michigan's offensive offense has not run the ball as well this year. We've, we've said it on just about every single episode, but JJ, as he started running last week, that really opened the ground game up. Does that happen again? Uh, and, and, and then more specifically, when it's not JJ running, is Blake Corum continuing to be, I guess I can't say, the only back who's having success because Kalal Mullings came in and had success. But is Donovan Edwards going to continue to struggle to this level? And what is his role going forward if he does? That I, I will be asking that question if he has another game like he has the first couple of weeks. Yeah, I think those are all good questions. Uh, the, the Donovan Edwards thing is is fascinating. It's hard to diagnose exactly what's going on there. Uh, he, according to Pro Football Focus, he's the lowest rated player on Michigan's offense who has played at least 100 snaps. And uh, again, he's really kind of come up short in the run game. They seem to be more interested in uh, maybe involving him more in the past game, which I think can really open things up for Michigan's offense. It did against Rutgers, obviously, on that second drive. They were able to get him out in space, and that led to a big completion. And so uh, he he can still provide some kind of uh, boost for Michigan in in a different capacity. But as as a runner, he is yet to kind of you know, come to top form uh, yet. And it's uh, it's certainly a concern, I think, for Michigan because I think ideally they would want to limit some of the touches that Blake Quorum has. The, well, I mean, Jim Harbaugh said that that's, that that's what they want to do, right? On Monday, he said, as right. uh, someone asked about Donovan Edwards, uh, his, his struggles so far, um, and... <laughs> And and Jim and Jim said that he Donovan's as good as good as he's always been, and part of the handling with the whole situation is he does not want to put too many carries or too many touches on any single back. Which I that I mean that would be all well and good if at the same time Blake Corum was not running twenty one times. Now twenty one times is not thirty one or forty one like thirty one like he did. Uh, I believe he had a 30-carry game last year. Uh, 
at least one. And then, I mean, not that he's ever run 40 times, but back in the day, there are bell cow backs who have done it. So 21 is not some unsustainable workload. However, 21 versus, I, I don't, I mean, I think Donovan had six carries for 13 yards. That's not like, th- those aren't the same. And so no, nobody's saying to give the ball to Donovan as much as you give it to Blake, but I guess hmm. just, just the, the, why Jim is doing what he's doing, how they're using him. These are the questions we're asking and, and, and what's going on with him. Cause you mentioned the, the 33 yard catch he had, that was his longest play of the year. And frankly, it was a, it, it was well-schemed open, but I, but we said this on the last episode, it was a busted coverage. And so if right. you take that reception out, he has sure. 10 catches for 67 yards. I mean, he is catching the ball. He averaged 7.1 yards per run last year, per run. And he's averaging fewer yards in the air. Not to mention, he's only averaging 3.3 yards on the ground. 33 carries for 109 yards. I mean, well, and he's been, it's the Edwards that we expected. None yeah, of and, he, and he's been particularly bad in short yardage situations, uh, leading to, obviously, turnovers and downs or uh, you know, a field goal attempt in, in in the red zone as opposed to con- the continuation of a drive, and so it's uh, it has been disappointing some of the results that he's been able to uh, or he's put forth so far. Uh, I think that Blake Quorum obviously is the much more reliable runner. It's a guy you want to turn to in any kind of crucial situation. I don't think you can turn to Donovan Edwards at this point. Uh, I think there's enough evidence to suggest that that would be a, a mistake. And maybe they need to look at, if not Blake Corum, then using Kalel Mullins in that situation too. Of course, that, you know, going back to the TCU game, there was the, um, uh, on the goal line, there was the uh, fumbled exchange between between uh, J.J. McCarthy and, and Mullins. So, uh, but I think overall, I mean, I think you either go to Blake Corum or, Kalel Mullins in a in a short yardage situation where you need to pick up that first down. Oh, they ha- and they have been, and I I think certainly they will. I mean, luckily Michigan does not need to ask itself this question. But I mean, if Blake Corum had not come back, right? I mean, wow. I I thought, uh, well, at the time I thought he was not going to come back uh, just because he had had such a tremendous season. And running backs, the the shelf life is shorter in the in the NFL. I don't think anyone would have faulted Blake Corum for leaving, uh, but I was like, they're going to be okay, uh, even if he does, because they have Donovan Edwards. Uh, I was wrong and wrong. So, <laughs> so, so there you have that. Um, but I guess the last thing I want to talk about um, for this game, unless I don't know if there was anything else with the run game. I mean, I mean that's kind of where we're at, right? Blake Corum is looking very good. Uh, he and 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 slowly but surely, like. It was not fair to expect Blake Corm to look like Blake Corm week one, right? And then there was a little more week two. He is looking how you would expect the progression to look. Right. Um, it's it, it's not happening that that that, that way um, with with Donovan, and so but coaches are confident, and and I think it's worth pointing out. Uh, was it Jay Harbaugh or Sharon Moore? We just spoke with both of them. I think it was Sharon Moore actually who just said that he thinks Donovan had his best practice of the season yesterday on Tuesday. So he's still. Uh, and, and he offered that up. So Donovan is not down from what from what we've been told, although we've not spoken to him in a few weeks. Well, they need to keep his confidence up because yeah. – uh, and, and I think that's part of the reason why they've incorporated him as much as they have these last couple of weeks trying to trying to find that spark and, and leaning on him because they've, they have used him in short yardage situations even when there was, a, again, enough evidence to suggest that 
he might not be able to come through in those situations. But I think they keep trying to turn to him because they don't want to ruin his confidence at this point. You say, you say, right? I think that would be the case with ninety nine point nine percent of running backs and humans. Donovan Edwards, bar none, is the most confident individual I have ever met. That I've ever met, and that's not hyperbole. I mean, I mean, in any in any walk of life, uh, and, and I think hopefully for him that confidence can continue. I don't, I don't know if Michigan, like he, he's not short on confidence. He has a ton of self-belief because until this year, until literally this four weeks, he's never been slowed ever. I mean, this well, is that's a, a, well, that, but that's, that's why the confidence might be shaken a little bit. I mean, when you think, because when, you're he's something he, yeah, when you're comparing yourself with Barry Sanders and Walter Payton before the season, and then you're having results that are like, yeah, I mean, again, uh, a third third string back on an NFL team, uh, it, it's not it's not good. I mean that you're not even in the same ballpark, and to realize that has got has got to be deflating. And he's being reminded of this constantly. We're talking about it. You know, other people are talking about it. I'm sure you know, even within the team itself. I mean, they have to be talking about it. So uh, to to actually have to deal with this. Uh, and fall so short of your expectations has got to be debilitating for your confidence. I, I, I totally agree with you. For me, it would be. For you, I, I mean, I guess I can't speak for you. I think what you're saying is it would be, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, Don, I mean, I, I could totally be wrong. What I'm saying is not a fact. It's just my opinion, but I'm, I'm going to stick to my opinion. Dude, Donovan, you've, you've talked to him. You've met him. He's mm-hmm. so, like, I, I, I think... I mean, I'd be curious to still talk to him because like we talked to him after that first game, right? He was still laughing and joking. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it is now wearing on him and getting to him. But he was talking about, he was checking his phone, checking the stats at halftime when he had six carries for five rushes, right? So, I mean, this is not someone who, and, and that was three weeks ago. 23 weeks and two days ago, 23 yeah, but that, days ago, right? But that, but that could be chalked up in his mind to an aberration based off of one performance. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you have multiple performances, it's a sign of a trend, and yeah. it's a concerning trend. And so I think that that could affect somebody's ability. I mean, it's, it's like anything in, in baseball. You know, you might have one bad you know game, and then you have a couple bad games, and it's a slump. Suddenly, you're over ten. Yeah, 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 and and then you start you start questioning. Well, maybe I need to do something else in the batter's box, or uh, maybe I need to change my stance, or uh, you know, maybe lift my leg a little bit. So it's it becomes a uh, something that kind of weighs on you over time, especially as you keep seeing negative results pile up. It's a lot of good points. A lot of good points. I'm just, uh, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to say it again. Donovan Edwards, like he's come across to me so confident, he almost yeah, felt right. imu- imu- immune to it, right? Yeah, like, right. like he could not be shaken. But maybe that is false vibrato, right? That's mm-hmm. no human is infallible. I think is your point. Yes, uh, and, um, mm-hmm. which which is a good one. And um, so I, I think we did a good job on that. Uh, <laughs> if I say so myself, I, I mean like covering it. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> not that we did a good job. I'm glad we did. I think yeah, we hit it yeah, from all of <laughs> Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, <laughs> so lastly, uh, before we take a break, um, the defense, Reiner, uh, because they they have – you couldn't ask for more, right? The only defense right. in the nation to hold all four opponents to seven points or fewer. The first team has given up one – the first team defense has given up one touchdown all season, uh, and it came because Mike Sainer still slipped. He told us last night he broke his cleat when he slipped. 
Uh, mm-hmm. He was not using it as an excuse, just a fact. And then Rod Moore, uh, in his first start of the game or of, right. the, of the season, uh, one of these times I'll stop misspeaking. Uh, it's, I mean, a, a quick play. He's not expecting a slant route. He's not expecting the corner to fall in front of him. A guy comes, he takes a bad angle, and that quickly, it's a touchdown. Short of that, Michigan's first team defense has not given anything up. However, they've hardly faced a competent Division One quarterback. Gavin Wimsett is decent. Um, but the, but I think your point is, or where we're going to take this is, we're not sure if they see a good passing quarterback this week either, or we're, yeah. we're confident they won't. Yeah, no, and, and Nebraska's passing offense is uh, ranked towards the bottom. They're like 127th in passing yards in the FBS, and so I don't think the secondary is going to be challenged again. And it does raise questions about you know what Michigan's going to be like when they actually do face a competent quarterback. I mean, lest we forget that in the college football playoff, they, they struggled against Max Duggan and uh, a set of really high-quality receivers. And when you don't face high-level competition, uh, it, it opens up questions about how they're going to fare against those kind of players. And so, uh, again, they just by dint of their schedule, uh, they have not yet faced any kind of competent, really uh, competent quarterback, competent passing offense, and that's going to remain a question going forward, even as they pile up very good defensive statistics. Uh, I mean, the, right now they're, again, leading the nations in, in, in scoring defense. Uh, partially that's because of the competition that they played. Well, I think two things to keep in mind. One, that none of them, and obviously I'm not saying you're saying this. They know You know this, and they know this. They're not in charge of the schedule or who's healthy or who's playing. Like they are, just, they are just playing the games. And then secondly – Part of the reason quarterbacks are struggling or they, or all the quarterbacks are, that they're playing against have bad numbers, one of the reasons, at least one week, is because they're playing their defense, right? Uh, prior to TCU, the last very competent pass offense, Michigan, I mean, they faced two competent pass offenses in a row before that. Ohio State and Purdue held them both well below their averages. And, I mean, I think we've yet to see this, and we've still yet to see this complement of defensive backs only healthy, right? I mean, last week, this last week was the first, I, I, I guess you could say, although even Rod Moore uh, came out as he was, he was a little banged up uh, in the first half. But when you got Will Johnson, Rod Moore, Makari Page, Mike Sanderstill, and Josh Wallace all back there, that is as solid a five defensive, like, defensive backfield as you could really hope for in college football. And then the benefit is because of these injuries, they've been getting reps for Keon Sab for Jaden McBurrows, for Jair Hill, for DJ Waller. Uh, Amarion Walker, uh, I believe, is now – I mean, we, we have not seen him, but they said – I think they said he's practicing. Is that right? I mean, he's he's oh. working his way back. So right. mm-hmm. there, there is there is a little bit of depth there too. So, there, I mean, there, I, I guess th- those are my thoughts. Like, yeah, they have not been tested, but I like their chances when they are. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical. Again, Ohio State, I mean, they, they held a – off the off the scoreboard, they still allowed 360 passing yards or 350 passing yards to Stroud. Same with uh, uh, O'Connell and Purdue, 366. Anytime they face a competent quarterback, they they are tested a little bit more, and you know they showed some vulnerabilities against Bowling Green when uh, the Orth kid was in in the game. I mean, they they could have easily given up a touchdown, and they were they were giving some passes up deep. The thing is, is that these quarterbacks that they faced aren't good enough to continually test them. 
And so it'll be interesting when they actually face a really good quarterback to see how they hold up. I mean, until then, I'm not ready to kind of declare that this defense is, you know, 85 Bears level. That's going to be the the final three weeks of the season then. Right. Because that, I mean, that, because, I mean, we, we were just talking about this off air because you go to Penn State, then another road game at Maryland. That one we think super sneaky. Super right. sneaky because because that's before you come back home for Ohio State. Huge game at Penn State. Then you got to do a road game against a really competent pass offense and Josh Gaddis, your former OC, who might have a thing or two to prove. Uh, but in sneaking that in between Ohio State and and those three are real. I mean, it's that's just how the schedule fell. That Michigan's three right. best pass offenses they will face are all in November. Yeah, and so uh, again, the the heart of their schedule, the the challenges they face, yeah, again, are are reserved for the final month of the season. Uh, and for now, I mean, Michigan can only do what it can do against these these opponents. And you know, so far, they haven't really given up much. Uh, and uh, that's a credit to Jesse Minter being able to uh, scheme it up so that. Uh, they aren't giving up. Uh, they aren't giving up very little, and if it is something, it's usually because of some kind of, you know, breakdown or some weird, you know, mistake that may have happened. Uh, that obviously uh, is preventable, uh, or is just a sign of bad luck going forward. But uh, yeah, I just am curious to see what this defense looks like when they actually face a, a challenging offense. Right. No, it's fair. The more I watch this defense, um, I mean, the more I kind of wish I was a Baltimore Ravens fan for like my whole life. You know what I mean? It's just it's just so enjoyable to watch the way it discombobulates and disorients and shapeshifts uh, against whatever the opposition is trying to do. I mean, if you want five down linemen versus five in the secondary um, I mean, even, they're even getting better linebackers who are faster on the edge. Uh, I mean, I mean, their ability to, to to get pressure with four to send blitzes. I thought you asked a great question about uh, like with to Jay Harbaugh about about just sort of designing and and when and different. Or I, I guess it might have been someone else who asked who asked the question, but about just different uh, secondary pieces coming off the edge. Right? I mean, do you, do you see like and now that they're in year two or three real like right like two under mentor three under mcdonald mentor ravens concept it's i mean th- that that's why like yes they haven't seen anything but they have more talent than ever and they really grasp this these concepts now yeah i think that they're very solid and uh you know again it helps having experienced players i mean guys like michael michael barrett mike sandra still um Junior Colson, Junior Colson, Chris Jenkins. Yeah, I mean, guys that really understand the scheme have been in it for a few years. And so they can do different things, um, leverage teams in different ways. And they have. Uh, you know, they, they basically matched Rutgers strength with their own strength, you know, with the, with the run defense uh, last week and showed an ability to stop their strength as well. And they've done that with a lot of the, the teams that they've played so far. But the fact is, is that those teams don't really, their strength is still not that impressive uh, comparatively when you look at uh, across the FBS. I mean, these are not high level offenses necessarily. Sure, I mean, Nebraska 
I don't I don't know if I missed it. I don't know if you said it on air off air. I mean, aren't they ranked like 127th in yeah, total right. pass yards? Yeah, so yeah. so I mean I mean, however, they run an option, right? And I was uh uh Heinrich Harburg and who's replaced Jeff Sims. I mean, we're gonna get into that on the other side of the break. Um so but I mean, this is not designed to be a, a passing offense. And and that's not, I mean, Nebraska looks pretty like in a way we said about Rutgers last week, it's similar formula. When you don't have a competent quarterback, you're going to hear this similar formula a lot, right? About ball control, especially in these shortened games with the way the clock is going. I mean, Nebraska just wants to stay on, stay on down, stay on schedule, on down and distance, move the sticks, not turn the ball over. <laughs> that is like, I can't imagine how many places around their facility they have that like plastered and stamped and starred and, and, and everything. You know what I mean? And so like, so yeah, they won't see it this week, but th- they'll see other tests. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Nebraska is obviously going to try to run the ball. That's what they've done. I mean, it's they're it's got the sixth best rushing offense, but it's so much easier to defend when it's one dimensional. When you and, yep. and you have no balance, which is why Michigan wants the balance on offense. Uh, I mean, mm. it, to be able to show you know multiple things uh, and be able to hit teams with uh, multiple concepts and being able to execute that on a consistent basis presents so much more challenges to the defense. And again, Michigan has not really faced that. They've been able to lock in on one aspect, take that strength away, and then those teams are rendered uh, basically feckless for the remainder of the game. They can't do anything. And you saw that that when, again, Rutgers had to go throw the ball. Yeah, in the second half, they couldn't do it. I mean, they didn't have the the juice to be able to carry on uh, if they had to just rely on the passing game. Oh, no, 100%. Um, you have to be able to do both against Michigan, or at least pretend you can do both, have the threat of doing both. You can't be one-dimensional against Michigan, or you have no hope, actually no hope. I th- and so... I think we kind of know who we're going to pick on the other side of the break. Uh, but we're still going to do it because there's other games to talk about. We don't know if they'll cover the spread. 0-4 against the spread. Uh, and then we'll, we've got to bring in Andrew as well and and get all that good stuff around the, the Big Ten and college football. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we had some not as losing weeks last week. We're going to keep it going. This is Hail Yes. All right. How about that for a sell? Not as much of a losing week, I think is what I said. Almost a winning week. Some of us, ha- I mean, we were, fellas, we were this close uh, to, to, to winning weeks on, on, the, on the betting slate last week. But such is life. Uh, Andrew went 2-1-2. Two, two. Reiner went 2-1-2. Two, two. I was 1-2-2. Two, and, two. and all of those pushes... Uh, we were on the right side of the line before the whatever whatever pushed it late. That was a lot of recap before even bringing in Andrew. Um, but I'll use that as as our launching off point. Andrew, how did you feel about how everything ended last week? Well, my personal highlight was you and I hopping on the the call to discuss this, and and you going, yeah, I had a great week. I went four one uh, four one and oh, and I, was like, <laughs> I was like, are you sure about that? And then we went through to the path, and you were one two and two, so slightly slightly less uh, of a great week, as you said, but it's still we'll take it. Uh, well, push is a win. If you if you ever played blackjack, you know that push is a win. Yeah, I because I, what it, the 
very quickly. I hate to do this. We what we do is we talk about the line as we're recording right now, right? So this is the line. When I actually went to place a bet or two, of course not on the team I cover, but on other games uh, that that we were talking about. Um, that, that and I, I got I got like a hook here and a hook there and 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 I, and I won one like Notre Dame three and a half. Uh, so that was still a win when when I thought so. Nobody cares. What people want is to know who I'm picking and who we are picking this week to fade it. So uh, Andrew, can can you uh, set everything up? Uh, I sure can. So let's start with the Wolverines, as we always do. 17-point favorites in their first road game, as we've talked much about, at Nebraska. So, uh, Reiner, we'll start with you. Who you got in this one? Yeah, I've got Michigan covering. Uh, I just don't think Nebraska is going to be able to do much offensively. I think it's going to be very tough sledding for them. And so I think Michigan scores uh, 17. <laughs> it could be a 17 to nothing game. Uh 21-3, that, that kind of thing. And I just think Michigan uh, ends up uh, covering the spread ultimately just because Nebraska is so limited offensively. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the same page uh, almost exactly. I do I do think Nebraska will get into the end zone. Um, I mean, the, the option, it's just such a different look uh, than than what Michigan like constantly plays. Uh, that and, and yes, you can rep it in scout team, but against a team that actually runs it frequently. Uh, I, I think I think they just break off a big run or two. I think Nebraska gets to, to maybe 10, might score the most points against anyone, but this is when uh, Michigan just sort of keeps running downhill and shows this run game uh, with JJ's uh, expanding it uh, is for real. I think it's like 31-10, uh, pretty similar to what I thought last week, uh, so Michigan to cover. Andrew, are they going to cover yeah, for the first time? Yep, that makes three of us. Uh, I, I this is the kind of game that Michigan would cover even when they weren't necessarily as as this you know top four, top five team in the nation every year as they were in the early years of Harbaugh. You know Harbaugh's second game back on the sideline, but mostly Nebraska just still. I'm not sold on them at all. They they beat uh, Louisiana Tech 28 to 14. They lost 13 to 10 to Minnesota. And you know if it's either Jeff Sims or Heinrich Harbour, whoever's playing quarterback. I don't think Michigan's going to be scared of the letting them pass at all. I think I think they're going to dare them to pass. They won't be able to. And Nebraska's crowd will probably be strong early. This will be one of the best home games they have all year. But Michigan ultimately squeezes the life out of them, much like they did against Rutgers. And I think they they cover this one pretty easily. So I'm going with the Wolverines as well. So uh, our second game we have here, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the, the state of Michigan State as well. But Michigan State, a 12.5-point underdog at uh, Iowa. Lots going on surrounding the Michigan State program as we're recording here on Wednesday. Mel Tucker was officially fired after getting given a seven, you know, roughly eight day notice here um, that they were intending to fire him. It's just the next step. They have let him go now. So, uh, Reiner, you cover both Michigan and Michigan State. So uh, what's going on in East Lansing and how does it affect Michigan ultimately as well? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a problematic situation, obviously, for Michigan State, given the uh, what the firing does uh, to the potential of of the roster itself. Uh, it was the it opens the thirty day window for the transfer portal for the players, and so I mean there could be a very much a big shakeup within the roster by the time uh, they face Michigan, and uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty that's going to be introduced because of it. Uh, and that not only affects 
them long term. Uh, but in the immediate future, I mean, I don't know what their mentality is going to be like going into Iowa. Uh, Iowa's obviously going to be coming off a, a tough loss themselves, but <laughs> you know they don't have those questions. And you know, Michigan State's players are going to be thinking about their future uh, as they are also dealing with the uh, the prospect of facing a team that's uh, smarting from a very difficult defeat with Iowa in a very tough road environment, Kinnick Stadium at night. It's uh, not a not a good situation for Michigan State, and that's why I have uh, Iowa covering the spread, which is you know pretty large itself, twelve and a half for a team that again scored zero points against Penn State. That speaks to where where Michigan State football is right now, and uh, it's but I mean playing at Kinnick at night is is often a tough task um, for, for for most teams. Certain when you bring in, I, I mean Michigan has had. Rose Bowl and Big Ten Championship yeah. season, seasons derailed uh, mm-hmm. in night in because of night games at Kinnick, right? Uh, and so this is, I mean, this is not just just yes, Iowa's offense is hapless as it often is, um, but you, I mean, I think you just did the best job uh, anyone could of, of of laying it out Michigan State situation. I mean, players and coaches, as you have to do in in a situation like this. I mean, of course you're playing for Michigan State, you're playing for your for your school and as you should, but everyone has to, they all have futures that they need to look out for. Right. And there are, there are so many things that people are thinking about. I mean, they're not even sure if it's Noah Kim or Kate and Hauser that, and, and that might be the least of, of all the concerns well, with the coaching future. Right. Or Well, Harlan Barnett is said that Noah Kim is going to be the starter, but that again is going to be a okay, problem okay. because you know, Noah Kim has uh, been inaccurate at times and they're going against the Phil Parker zone defense. I just think it's a recipe for disaster potentially for for MSU because of that, uh, and and so I'm not I'm not as concerned about Hazelton's defense obviously in this game uh, against Iowa. I think that they can hold up for sure against them, uh, and they have the players to do that. It's just, you know, will they be able to kind of uh, pick through uh, Iowa's defense in the passing game? And I'm not so sure that they can string that together necessarily on I mean, a consistent basis. Penn State had to throw like 37 times to get 165 passing yards, right? I mean, I would fumbled six times. They turned right. it over four times. That's probably not like, I mean, they're going to have a different formula against Michigan State, right? They they can win that game 3-0, which, which I guess <laughs> would give us all the reason to, to cover, to, to pick MSU. But what I mean is they're not going to be as aggressive and they will methodically get out, I think, beyond 12 and a half. I think this is, I mean, if we could really pick one, I, I'd like the, I mean, and then I want to throw this to Andrew. I'd like the under, right? I mean, I think 17 to 3, 20 to 3, 20 to 6, 17, 6, right around there. I mean, I don't know. I, I think the 30, 36 and a half. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how these teams get combined for more than five touchdowns, I don't, I don't see Totally in agreement among among the over, the under here. Like, what would have, what would have to be the under on the over under on this game for you to confidently hit the over? I mean, if it was twenty twenty three, if it, the over under was twenty or twenty five, I would still be like, I don't know. Could definitely see this going under, <laughs> which is for those of I'm, you who don't yeah. like it. For those of the non gambling experts, that's like a comically low number. Like most games are usually at least in the forties. Anything below forty is pretty low. Oh, and that's so, NFL, dude. In college, I mean, fifty-one and a half is like feels pretty. 
standard. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not high so, at all. <laughs> I, I can see a defensive touchdown for Iowa for sure in this game. Yeah. I, oh, Noah I Kim has, has, yeah, Noah Kim has uh, shown that he is a t- very turnover prone. And ultimately, I, I, you guys almost convinced me. I'll be honest. You almost convinced me. But I just I don't trust this Iowa offense any more, any more than Michigan State coming into this game. Michigan State played Maryland pretty competitively. They made it, it, so many stupid mistakes. But those yeah. stupid mistakes ultimately – in this game could be the difference between covering and not. I think Michigan State will find a way to lose this game. I think Iowa finds a way to not cover. They're going to both. It's like kind of <laughs> like, do you guys know how to watch the Minnesota versus Chargers game this weekend when like both yeah. teams were trying to like basically Chargers off themselves? Like they're like, oh, no, we're going to make the mistake. No, we're going to make the mistake. That's what I think this game is going to be. And ultimately, if I'm getting 12 and a half points in one of those sides, I'm just going to take the 12 and a half points, even though I have no confidence in Noah Kim. He missed wide open receivers. When he did hit them, they dropped them. Uh, the O line is still a mess. The defense I thought looked pretty good against Mar- against Maryland, but uh, is it even going to matter against an Iowa team? It's probably going to to win by punting and and defense anyway. So, long story short, do not plan to have a lot of excitement in this game. I think it's a moral story yeah. from us here. Yeah, Reiner doesn't bet. Uh, I do. Um, but, but this is one where I would, I would be on the, on the, take a page out of Reiner's book. Um, I mean, I would not, we needed to pick this game for all the reasons to talk about. I wouldn't actually bet this game. This, I mean, I could, I have a horrible read on this. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So all let's right. take a look at our next one here. We got Notre Dame and Duke. Um, so Duke, or sorry, excuse me, Notre Dame, obviously coming off the, the epic crazy game with Ohio state night game at Notre Dame. Now they travel to Duke this week, who has already beat Clemson. Uh, Ryan, I heard you got in this one. I've got Duke. Uh, I think, you know, Riley Leonard is really a pretty good quarterback in their defense. Duke's defense has been rock solid this whole, whole time. They're uh, yeah, ranked in the top 10 in scoring defense. And, uh, um, you know, when, when you're good on both sides of the ball, as they have shown, uh, I think they're going to pose a lot of problems for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's coming off a really, really, really tough loss. Uh, questions about their coaching staff is after the 10 play, men on the field for the final play. Uh, there's a lot of things kind of just working against, I feel, Notre Dame in this situation. Plus, it's on the road at Duke. You know, they're going to have a lot. I mean, it's going to be probably the biggest game in uh, Duke's history, uh, arguably, uh, uh, going into it. And so I think it's a real shot for Mike Elko and and Duke to make a statement and also put them on the path towards, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe ACC championship or, or something crazy like that. I don't know. I mean, this, this team seems like it has the potential to actually make some noise, which is crazy. If you've, if you've watched Duke and I know you have, you know, it's not crazy. You know, everyone is so obsessed with the name on the Jersey and the basketball school. Dude, what the job Mike Elko's done there is like second to none. And all these stories that we've talked about, like Michigan, we were just talking about Michigan State and you're talking about coaching searches. I mean, I don't know how it doesn't like start, stop, restart and circle back to, to Durham again. I mean, I'm, ju- I'm just so impressed. I mean, they manhandled Clemson, like absolutely manhandled them in the in the opening week. And then. Just ha- didn't have any problem. Like they do what they did against bad teams: Northwestern, Connecticut, like uh, Louisiana, whoever they put. I mean, just winning by three, four, five touchdowns. Uh, and so, and 
I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm on it. I, I don't think Duke, like it could be, this could set up for a chance at the biggest win maybe in Duke football history. Uh, I like, I like them. Five and a half is always a, is always a gross, gross number. Um, but I like, I like getting it with Andrew's point uh, to, if you're, if you're uncertain, obviously you want the points. Um, but I, th- uh, Riley Leonard, who did not get the extension on his paper uh, after week one, um, has still been balling, like you, like you said. So, I, I think Duke might win out, outright, but I like the points for sure. <laughs> no, I said if that wasn't clear, I mean, yeah, I, I, I I'm kind of picking them to win too. I uh, thought, you know, take them to uh, take the points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They called up five and a half points, the Vegas zone. It's just like, it's not like a real, it's not like a real score, like three. Okay. That's a field goal. Seven. That's a touchdown. Like the five and a half is just like such a wonky, weird number. But mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. I guess my question is why, why not Notre Dame? I mean, they were, we, I was impressed with them coming into the Ohio state game. Do they look perfect? No. Do they make stupid mistakes against Ohio state? Yes. But Ohio state is a team where if you do make a few bad mistakes, you will lose the game and you will pay for it immediately. And you probably can't come back from it. But they did outrush Ohio State 175 to 126, uh, matched them almost identically in yards per play, and then lost in a heartbreaker uh, to a, in probably you know the biggest game uh, at Notre Dame in years. But now this is a, this is a season-defining game for Notre Dame themselves. You guys mentioned for Duke. Well, Notre Dame has their entire season on the line. If you lose, if you lose to Ohio State, and then you you don't have an ACC championship game to play for, you lose to. Duke, I mean, they're they're basically at that point they're playing for ten and two and just trying to improve their bowl game. I mean, their entire season is on the line right now uh, against Duke as well. I still like Sam Hartman, and I think Duke did catch Clemson off guard a little bit with that weird road game in Week One for Clemson. Uh, Duke, I like Duke, but I just give the edge to Notre Dame uh, slightly here in a bounce back game that obviously, like like I mentioned, means everything to them. So I'm rolling with with Notre Dame in this one. I think I would have picked Duke. Even I, I would have liked the Duke pick even more if Notre Dame had won last week. Um, ju- just for me, it's so hard to get up in college football. Think about how emotionally charged that was, right? And they still have a game later with Clemson. They still got a game later with USC. I mean, Notre Dame's got a really has. They have. T- t- you're yeah, right. The season's on the line. The season is on the line um, for sure. But it's the the back to back emotional charge. That's tough. That's tough. Win but or lose. But then also, you know, again, what, what are the Notre Dame players thinking about the coaching staff? I mean, there's got to be some lack of confidence that in them, uh, given what the circumstances that played out at the end of the game. And so uh, I, I do wonder if there there is uh, some shaking confidence there uh, from Notre Dame's standpoint heading into the Duke game. Because, frankly, the coaching edge goes to Mike Elko, and it's not even close, I don't think. You mean Michigan State's next coach, Marcus Furman? I don't know if you guys saw those reports this week. <laughs> yeah, the battle, the battle of MSU's next two coaches. That's actually what we should have called this. Yeah, exactly. Loser, loser has to go to East Lansing. Huh? <laughs> All right, last game on the schedule here. Fun Pac-12 game. Fun Pac-12 season. I mean, have has there been a more fun Pac-12 season? And, of course, it's the last season yep. in very college football fashion. When, like, they finally perfect it. They're like – they're nailing uh, every team is rolling it and and, and now it, it's coming to an end. Utah at Oregon State. Oregon State a three point favorite. Uh, Tony, we'll we let Reiner start the other ones. We'll start. Let you start here first. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have, to, 
Oh, you go on. He, okay. Reiner's got to listen up. He said we uh, let Reiner start listening. the yeah. others. No, no, listen. See, he's, he's in the zone. He's already doing research, but no, it's yeah. all good. Um, honestly, I had to refer back to my notes uh, because I was so torn on this game. I don't remember which which name I wrote down. I actually don't like that I wrote this name down, but I'm sticking with it. Apparently, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, no, it's it's so it's so tough, dude. It, re- it really is. Um, I'm going with Oregon State, and the reason is sort of the op- sort of the, the same rationale as last week. I mean, Utah has won emotionally charged game after emotionally charged game, at least two, right? I mean, UCLA last week. Uh, and the week before, or a few weeks before the season opener against Florida, they had to go down to Baylor and I mean, survive. Uh, and so, and Oregon state last week, they just lost to Washington state, but this is a, a good team. Uh, I mean, I mean, they were, they, they had worked their way up the rankings. I'd really liked what I had seen from them the first few weeks. Um, and so a lot of people are just immediately counting them out. This is a really good, like bounce back spot. Uh, for for Oregon State at home, and so uh, I mean I mean you don't just go into Corvallis and walk out alive. So uh, give me the beeps. Uh, good points. Well, I've got a I, I, I won't I'll counter that. I, I have I have Utah, um, and uh, you know uh, just because Kyle Whittingham continually shows that he gets it done in these kind of t- you know tough games. Uh, even when the circumstances are against them. I mean, they've dealt with the quarterback issue, uh, and they might actually get Cam Rising back this week. I think that's, that'll only boost them potentially, or at least give them another option if they want to use Nate Johnson still. Uh, it's uh, it's just a tough team. Kyle Whittingham has made a tough program. Uh, you, look, you saw what they did against uh, USC last year in the Pac-12 championship game. They just, they just come up – they always deliver. It seems like in these big moments, and uh, uh, I feel like you know, even in a situation where they have to go to Corvallis, you know, they'll they'll be raring to go. I mean, they already played, yeah, you know, again a road game, went down to Baylor. I mean, again, Baylor's not as good, but again, it's just uh, more evidence of them being able to, you know, take their show on the road. They don't they don't get phased by again circumstances or environments or wherever they have to go. Uh, they usually just get the result. So I'm going to go with Utah. What a weird, what a weird conference. What a weird line. What a weird game. Oregon State minus three. Uh, Oregon State coming off a, a loss last week to Washington State, who good team played them down to the wire. Um, but that means that they effectively think that Utah, who many think might be the best team in the conference, and Oregon State are equal teams because three points is typically the line that you that you put it there. So if it was, you know, Utah at home minus three, that would mean that they think that they are equal with Oregon State, et cetera, et cetera. So what do we know about the Pac-12? We know that they always beat up on themselves. Oregon State, as I mentioned, nearly lost to Wazoo last week on the road. Now I'm guessing, I'm predicting that they beat Utah in this one. Cam Rising, maybe back, maybe not might be splitting reps with uh, Nate Johnson. And if that situation gets a little rocky early and Oregon State can score, and they can score from what we've seen last week, they put up a ton of points. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking that they get out to an early lead here. And Utah is a team who can who is better with with the lead than having to come back. So uh, I'm going to take Oregon State in this one and uh, and not, not too scared of the three points. I just think upset Pac-12, beat themselves up. Everybody has two losses at the end of the year. No one makes the playoffs in their best season ever. Just feels very Pac-12. I, I I see that I can see that and uh, you know, Oregon State I mean Oregon State it was I mean it was sort of a comeback effort last week against Washington State they were down like 38, 38 
18 or something. I mean, they scored 20. It was a late rally. Uh, They came back, but they're very capable. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's like Cam Rising is practicing, but Utah's offense has not looked good. What just under Nate Johnson, right? I mean, they got a pick six to start their defense did to start the game last week, and then they held on fourteen to seven. So yes, I mean Morgan Scally, their DC, who's been there like fifteen years, is a is awesome, right? Like he taught, they had seven sacks, eleven TFLs. That's a, a really good unit. Their offense is not as proven, and I think Oregon State will make it where Utah has to score points. So. Well, well, I think they'll turn they'll turn over. You know, Ugalele. Um, he's already got three interceptions this year, and I just think Utah's defense, you know, find a way. Uh, and they they again they're in the top ten in scoring defense, uh, like Duke. And uh, I don't know. I just side with the teams that have really solid defenses. Uh, they they have much they have a much better ability to go on the road and and steal wins. Uh, I mean, look no further than, again, Michigan, ever since they've had a really good defense. Uh, you know, they've been able to go on the road and, and and win those games. I mean, Ohio State last year, a perfect example. Yep, defense travels. And uh, yeah. we will see uh, which teams uh, pack their suitcases this week. Uh, Colorado's was, was said to be Louie. Uh, we'll, we'll see how they do against USC. Uh, I, I foresee a second straight loss. Uh, coming for the Buffaloes, but uh, just a little bit of thanks to do as we, I'm sure, bring in the parting music. Uh, as always, thanks to our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, executive editor, Anjanette Delgado, sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, audio engineer, Robin Chan, uh, and Andrew Burkle, who you've heard from our sports editor and producer. I know we always, I need to do a much better job of moving this thanks up. I just don't like to derail uh, <laughs> what little momentum I'm able to gain throughout a show, but uh, the thank yous are, it's not just to say it. Um, this is actually how we're able to do it. And all the, all the people who, who let us keep producing these shows. So thank you to all of them. Thank you to you uh, for listening. Uh, we will talk to you after Nebraska, ahead of Minnesota. So see you then. This is Hail Yes. <laughs>